Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The my pillow guy. And you're looking good. I'm still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever, my pillow 2.0. <gasps> when I invented my pillow, it had everything you'd ever want in a pillow. Well, now there's new technology that makes it even better. My Pillow 2.0 has my patented fill combined with a cooling fabric with temperature regulating thread. My Pillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of My Pillow. Now's the time to go to mypillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use the promo code to save 50% on your My Pillow 2.0. Not only that, for a limited time your entire order ships absolutely free. You're sleeping even better and cooler too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. MyPillow.com So hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan, and this is Globalist in Plain Sight. And uh, I am in Tennessee today, and I am here with uh, David Bell, who's in Texas. And we are going to be talking about the WHO and what is going on with the WHO and what they think, what they want to do, and whether or not that they have ethics. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Christine. It's good to be back. Uh, so David, I mean, you're, you've been a good friend of the show and, and you, 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 you are somebody who knows public policy and public health policy. And so what exactly is going on with the WHO? I mean, we, we keep on talking about since, you know, May of 2022 about the, the international health, uh, regulation amendments that the U S government is pushing with a number of Western countries. But at the same time, we keep on hearing about pandemic treaties. And so, I mean, what's going on? You guys uh, have written, uh, you and a team of folks have taken a look at and analyzed some of the data that is being, that's supposedly the underlining basis of changing the policy at the World Health Organization. What, what exactly have you found? And, and, and that they are doing. Yeah, so we've been looking at the data um, underlying the assumptions of pandemics increasing as we've been, you know, we've been told in various reports from the G20 World Bank, WHO, that pandemics are an existential risk to humanity, that the frequency is increasing exponentially, we're often told. And, you know, people have heard about disease X and this idea that there'll be a 20 times worse epidemic just down the or pandemic just down the road etc we have to prepare so this great urgency about um putting much more strict measures in place and the, what we'll be looking at is um the, the evidence that they are using the g20 world bank and who 
and how much it backs up what they are actually telling us um, as institutions. So, you know, pandemics will happen. Uh, pandemic, if you define it as a, the spread of a virus across borders um, that can make people sick, that will happen. Uh, it happens historically. Um, it'll happen again. It would be stupid not to prepare for an outbreak of disease. We do, you know, we prepare all the time. The current international health regulations, they, they have good, good, good bits and bits that are questionable, but they're basically already doing that. So the, the push is to make them much stricter. So that the new amendments, um, essentially they turn them from recommendations into requirements. Countries will undertake to do whatever is recommended. They set up a surveillance mechanism to find threats and they allow the um, various measures, which are they're listed there. Um, I won't go into detail. We've done that before, but you know, essentially lockdowns, quarantine, um, mandated vaccinations, etc. It allows the director general, a single person, to recommend them and rec so essentially require them because recommendations become something countries undertake to do just on a threat. So it's building an industry. Um, and a very large one and a very expensive one. They're asking for over $30 billion a year to essentially find potential threats for these outbreaks and then lock people down. There's a 100-day vaccine program to give their um, freedom back. And this will generate huge profits. It's run mostly on public money. It will generate huge profits for the private sector who have increasingly been sponsoring WHO and other institutions. So, so you know, as I said, it's, it's not stupid to prepare for pandemics. So we've been looking at the evidence, the strength of evidence around this idea that there's an urgency, there's an existential threat. And you know, there are a number of key documents from WHO. People have heard about disease X, which is part of their priority disease list um, as a good example. So. The priority disease list now includes COVID-19, which you know, is probably not of natural origin. It's probably got human um, interference in the virus. So right. it's not a natural outbreak, which is what, you know, they're talking about natural outbreaks. And it has then a number of other diseases, um, which are the diseases of priority of great concern to become pandemics by WHO. So these diseases, you know, there's Lassa fever, which is an endemic disease of West Africa. It doesn't occur anywhere else. There's Ebola, Marburg, which is a local disease in Africa that's been there forever, probably. Right. Um, and then there's things like MERS, SARS, Nipah virus, Rift Valley fever. Some you know, people have heard of SARS and MERS, probably. All these put together, including Ebola, on the on the disease list. If you take out, you know, Lassa fever and COVID there's less than 26,000 deaths in history ever recorded when you add all these up. So this is the point that, you know, on this list. So that's why they have disease X, because... So, so, so David, David what, what it, it seems to be what you guys have found in the paper, and I'm not a public policy scholar, mm. but, you know, I can read. It seems to be that these guys are hyping they're hyping up disease. They're hyping up the yeah. cost of public pol of, of health policy, and they're turning this into sort of a 
mega business, okay? And it, they almost yes. sound like Bill Gates and, and, and the, the rest of the clowns that, that he hangs out with. We need X, Y, and Z because this is going to be the tsunami that's going to kill everybody and we need to be prepared. But at the same time, they're lying because it's not based on a, on a natural disease. It's based on this man-made lab lab leak. If, if, you know, if, if it's not a, if it's not a leak, it's a link uh, to a catastrophe that could engulf the world. And hence, we need a lot of money. I mean, if they fool if they fool around with gain of function. Which they are. I mean, no, no, no one has shut that down, even though COVID has happened. This gain of function, Fra Frankenstein science that we have uncovered um, and, and discuss at great length on this show. If they don't shut that down, yes, something could happen because we've, we, we have people fooling around, uh, you know, w with... They're fooling around. I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. it they're fooling yeah. around with bioweapons. So, so this is important to understand with these treaties. So these, the treaty and the amendments are not about gain of function. They're not about man-made. or No, or they're not, but, 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 they're, but they're, they're, they're not about, the truth. Yeah, so they're talking about natural events, natural spillovers from animals. Well, they, yeah, but, but David, and, here's the problem. They, they call COVID a natural event. And no, it's no, I, I know, I know. And we... we you know, we're understanding that isn't. So the, but the, the point here is that this whole agenda is based on these natural outbreaks, okay? If you're talking about a man-made event, then right. you're talking about a completely different thing. You're not going to stop it by building a surveillance network. You're going to stop it by controlling gain of function, not doing that research at okay. all, or only do it in certain labs. And it become, you know, if people are doing it deliberately as a bioweapon issue, that's an issue between countries. It's a defense issue, et cetera. It's not something you hand to you know, Gavi or the WHO or CEPI or some, one of these public-private partnerships. It's something you deal with in a country. So what they're talking about is purely natural outbreaks. And you know, the, the, Why does the, it cost so much, David? It costs so much because they're building, partly because they're building a very extensive surveillance network in every country. Countries will be vetted and checked every two years to ensure that they are, they have all this surveillance in place. The surveillance network will find threats. So they, you don't need a real threat. They, they will find threats because viruses mutate all the time. This is normal. So the reality is that since the Spanish flu, where most people died of, um, secondary bacterial infections because we didn't have antibiotics, which we do now, yeah? Right. Since then, over a century have, we ago... Didn't, we didn't have the sanitation that we do now either. No, we didn't have the sanitation, we didn't have the, the nutrition, etc. So mm -hmm. since that time, there hasn't been a large pandemic of anything like that. And if you look at the trajectory and the databases they're using, there's a Gideon database, which is the largest database of outbreaks, it goes back four or 500 years. Um, this is what the World Bank, the G20 is on, rely on predominantly, especially, you know, the, the recent World Bank report on this. The, what, what they're saying is that that shows an increase in outbreaks over the last several decades. Um, what it actually shows and what their own citations show in their reports 
is an increase in reported outbreaks up to about the year 2000, 2010, which completely fits with we invented PCR. We invented um, antigen tests, point of care antigen tests. We invented point of care serology tests, all the ways that we now detect outbreaks. And in the last one to two decades, there's been a reduction despite this improving detection in both outbreak frequency, the number of diseases we see breaking out and particularly in mortality. And this is what this data is showing. And they're saying something completely different, but they, you just need to go to their own citations and look at this. So, yeah, as an example, they're, they're quoting a paper as saying that there will be a three times increase over the next decade in the risk of pandemics. Um, the paper actually says that, you know, that they, that they model the frequency of pandemics. There may be another COVID-like event every 129 years. There may be a Spanish flu every 292 to 870 years. So with the, their, even the papers they're quoting are saying these sort of events, even COVID that killed people at an average age of 85 and hardly put a blip on all-cause mortality, that's less than a once-in-a-lifetime event based on the papers that these agencies are quoting. Yet they're interpreting that as we have to rush into an agreement. So what, what their own data shows, importantly, is that, yet, of course, outbreaks happen. Of course, there's a theoretical threat. The risk has been getting lower over the last one to two decades because we're much better at managing these. And we've got to the point where we can detect them very well. So we're not seeing that increase in detection. And so we have absolutely have, I mean, what we have in place now may well be enough. We, we have a very good flu surveillance system. We haven't had anything like Spanish flu even vaguely for, you know, over a century. So there is no urgency in the way that they're saying. But there is a need so to get, are they incompetent? If, if are we they do this wrong, so I just say thirty billion dollars means other diseases will get worse because it's diversion of funds from what actually kills us to these theoretical outbreaks that kill a few thousand people over decades. Sorry, Christine. Yeah. So I'm just I'm thinking. So if they're not interpreting the data correctly, if they're overstating the case, yeah. Are they incompetent, stupid, or are they lying? And if, I mean, what is, why is, why is the, I, what I don't understand, you know, and, 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 and I can't think that I'm just the only person that's thinking this. Why is it that these international bodies, so, you know, they, they, they become, um, alarmist. I guess that's the word I'm looking yeah. for. They become alarmist. And they expect the world to respond. And quite frankly, these are very well-educated people. I've never mm. met somebody who wasn't well-educated mm. at the UN, the World Bank, or the IMF. Depending right? on your definition of education. But yeah. Well, that's true. Depending upon your definition yeah. of education. But but they, they, they do, you know, I'm not, and I'm not saying everybody that goes to Oxford is, is you know, is a scholar. But it, at the same time, but they're, they're not, they're people who have had, um, some some education of some level that's higher than than you know the fifty percent of the, the the planet. But why is it yeah. that everything is so urgent? Why is everything a catastrophe? Why why are these people 
is it is it is it just to move us into this new stone age of surveillance so i mean that's not what we're looking at in our project but that you know we're trying to put the data on the table people right. can make better decisions so yeah i think there's a range of issues here one is that you know during COVID, as an example the people the, the companies and investors who are heavily funding you know that they're and directing a lot of WHO's work let, let's just but, uh, let me, and, let me, and, are we talking about the bill gates of the world etc yeah and okay. the large pharma corporations and so on they have made hundreds of billions of dollars out of COVID. that's true you will do a lot for more hundreds of billions of dollars yeah and you know when we advertising on tv it, it the idea is to exaggerate the you know how much people need a product that's what they're doing they're advertising a business which for them okay. makes a huge amount of money on a lower level there are thousands of people employed in this now whose salaries whose kids education whose health care etc relies on them towing the line and they see this quite rightly as a huge future for them so this, so this is this, in public health this is lots of money it's salaries it's careers so you have a, a huge vested interest and thousands of people do so this is the dot this is the dot com of the 1990s yeah okay Pretty so this much, is yeah. all right and so, so, so and, that's and, the way we need to think about this it's, is it yeah, really authentically public health this is sort of like the new the new, the it's new. a business yeah and it's a career opportunity but it doesn't mean that everyone has got nefarious intent the you know pe a lot of people have been taken in the, the rhetoric from these organizations is this existential threat exponential increase etc etc well, that Disease, sounds like, but that sounds but, like the climate change, folks, too. I mean, everything's yeah. an existential threat. If, if, you, if is, you believe CNN, then you dead. believe we're under threat. If you believe the New York Times, you believe we're under threat. And you forget that the New York Times and CNN are owned by the same investment houses that own Pfizer. So, and that the, they rely on advertising directly from Pfizer. So, you know. So, we, so David, I mean, this, this is, this is, um, I mean, I have to laugh at it. It, it. It's so sick. It's sad, but at the same time, it, it's a game. It's this, a game. This, it's is a a Wall game Street, well. this is a Wall yeah. Street game, but they're, but they're, they're trying to sell this to governments, to world leaders. And, yes. and, and, and here's the problem. Is there nobody in the room that's willing to say on the inside, "Hey, this no, is there, nonsense"? There are, there are. So there are, you know, there are people on the inside who understand what is happening. So we hear a lot of people outside um, making a lot of noise about this, and that is a good thing, I think. But there are also people on the inside who can see what is happening and who are concerned. Um, it, it's a huge. Um, you know, there's a huge momentum that needs to be stopped and turned around. Um, and you hope that that will happen. But there, it's not, you know, not everyone involved in global health is um, naive enough to believe this sort of messaging and they can see the whole. So what we're trying to do in our project is just put the evidence there so it's easier for anyone to actually make an honest case um you know a, a lot of people can see they sense that there's something wrong but 
it is difficult to accumulate the evidence to prove it. But there, it's not a completely one-sided thing that's going on. There's, within the discussions for the WHO treaties, you'd be aware, you can see from you know, the Director General of the WHO, Ted Ross, is increasingly um extreme statements he's calling people liars now i read in the news yesterday um oh, he's, he's pretty, because... it's very unfortunate from the head of an international agency to say that to people who are criticizing the agency because and he's factually wrong if you look at the, what he's saying but um so that reflects the fact that this isn't going completely as the people who might see it as a huge financial win would like um there is some pushback so let's take a break at this point uh, and, and let's come back because I want to I want to get into the the ethics um, because I, I, I think that that's important. Knowing how to invest your money is harder than ever before. Dealing with stock market volatility, record debt and terrorist attacks requires new thinking at U.S. Asset Management. We can help you see the world more clearly so that you can move beyond the chaos and invest with confidence. Call us, visit us online, or drop by our office. U.S. Asset Management, helping you make better decisions with your money. Okay, we're back with uh, Dr. David Bell, uh, one of my favorite people who's been, who's been on this show, who educates me every single time he comes on. Uh, David, many years ago, um, over 25 years ago, I was asked to facilitate the uh, ethics program at the World Bank when it was run by Jim Wolfenson with a guy named uh, Zig Nagorski, who has since passed away. And Zig was one of the most inspiring people I'd ever, ever worked with. He was a Holocaust survivor and he had ethics. And we were able to take it to the satellite uh, offices, not, not just in the DC area, but the satellite offices around the world for the World Bank, because Jim's vision was we needed to have ethics and have people think about them and have, have them do exercises. And the one thing that I found to be very interesting, when we had 23 people sitting around a table, everybody came from different, different nationalities, cultures, uh, but everybody was pretty well educated of, of some sort. And the, the definition of the word fraud was different to everybody and and how they how they practice you know not committing fraud and and i'm wondering now because in in the last three years we've seen the world health organization fall on its face okay it's not this is not just about fauci anymore it's not just about you know francis collins or the cdc we've seen the world health organization and people in the in the health industry the medical industry fall from 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 the from the perches they have sat on now for the last 50 60 years what is going on with the with the world with the i guess the health industry and the and the public health industry because you know as as you just said on the other side of the commercial calling people liars Tedros, you know, who heads up the WHO, is in no position to call anybody a liar. He's been investigated when, you know, years ago when he was connected to the Global uh, Fund to, to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria, and he was found out to be a fraud. So, I mean, it's it's almost like the Peter Principle has gone mad. 
with a lot of these people. But is are the is ethics even discussed? Or is everybody just too afraid and, and in such a position because it's there this it has the WHO has such great cushy you know benefits that nobody wants to speak up? Yeah, I think that's it. I think people are just waiting for someone else to speak up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, it's difficult to say. I mean, I think it's, it reflects the rest of society, doesn't it, in a, a big way, I think. I think we can look back to the 80s and 90s um, when there is this, people were noting this increase in inequality in concentration of wealth in Western countries. And there are lots of charts out there that show this financially. It's from the early 70s, particularly, um, there's been a, a big increase in the income of the very rich, whereas in real terms, the rest of the population has stayed flat. Right. So we, we've had this increasing inequality, and that has allowed a very small number of people to exert huge influence over society with a lot of money. And we knew that would happen at the time it was discussed, and now we're in the midst of it. It's just harder to see it when you're in it. So we have a few people who completely control, really, um, the global health agenda, the international public health agenda. They, the same people fund the training schools, they fund the modelers, they fund the research, the main research, they fund the um, WHO, the big public-private partnerships like Gavi, CEPI, etc. And, and they use taxpayers' money for that, but they fund enough themselves to have a seat on the board and to have control. And, you know, they own the media, etc. So I think we've got to this point where a very few people have so much control that other people are now in a position where if you're going to be really ethical, you have to take a big loss yourself often. So you have to decide not to be part of the mainstream of these large industries. You would decide in international public health, perhaps, that you won't be on the bandwagon of pandemic preparedness and even climate and health if you think that these are actually, the way that these are going is going to massively impoverish the majority of the population. And you know as a public health physician that poverty equals shorter lifespans and more morbidity. So people are worse off when they're poorer from a public health point of view, but we are having policies put in place that will inevitably make people much poorer and concentrate wealth even more in the few hands. So we're at a point now where you have to decide if you're going to be ethical that you're going to take a loss. And I think that's much harder than just talking about ethics in theoretical perspective. And, you know, you can talk about it, but everyone's pretty equal and you can afford to not do this because there's more money to do something else. I think now things are so concentrated under a few people's sort of control that it's much harder to stand up. And so well, I, 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 think, I think that that's true. I, I think that speaking out to power uh, has, its, has its limitations and, and sometimes it, it does cost people. Mm. Um, but at the same time, we're getting to the point now in society where if you don't stand up and talk to people, you're they may they may kill you. I mean, it's it's clear 
that people were lied to all over the world about the, the COVID lab leak. It's clear yes. that people were lied to about uh, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. It's clear yes. that, 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 that they took that. They didn't just say that we're not going to you know, give it to you if you ask for it. They took it off the shelves and they put it in, in, a, in a warehouse here in the United States. I mean, it, this is this becomes, you know, it's like the Hunger Games in motion in real time. So my, my question is, why would we, I mean, you guys are public health experts that took a look at their data at the World Bank and you, you come to the conclusion that they're making claims based upon data that they're misinterpreting. We call that skewing. Uh, you know, misinterpreting is a nice way to, to me. You know, these people are lying. So why should we trust these people? I mean, shouldn't shouldn't we, as a society, when you've been lied to, when when people have died, shouldn't they earn your trust to come back in to make recommendations? Well, I think the, the whole point here is that I mean, you said, why should we trust these people? I mean, why would you trust? Uh, we just need to get common sense back. Um, if an organization is significantly funded by pharmaceutical companies who are making lots of money and rely on, say, vaccines, for instance, to make huge profits for themselves right. and their investors, then it would be stupid to rely on that company or the organization that heavily influences for your advice on vaccination. It doesn't mean that um, vaccines are good or bad. It just means that you would go somewhere neutral for your advice or you would take advice from a few different sides. You wouldn't rely on the people who are making lots of money by you doing making a particular decision. And it's just, you know, if you're buying a used car, you don't just listen to the used car salesman. The used car salesman says, oh, you should buy this one. Don't worry about the rust because that's actually good for you. And, you know, the fact that two of the gears don't work is actually an advantage. It makes it go faster. So buy that one. I'll even add a few thousand dollars because that makes it even better. And so you buy that car. I mean, you, no one is that stupid, yeah? But we have listened to the CEO of Pfizer for the last few years tell us that it's a really good idea to have his vaccines and the media has parroted that and not questioned it. You know, it, it's the same thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think, we, you know, you don't have to say this organization is lying, this organization is lying. You just have to have common sense on where you get your advice. Which, but I mean, where it reflects on these international organizations is that we have to keep them free of conflict of interest if we are going to take them seriously as advisors for public health. And the, the WHO is that, is that, is that possible? Is that possible? Yeah, well, it is possible. Yes, you can have really strict rules. You can just say there will be no private money in into in the international health organizations and no private people on the border in positions of influence. But and David, you can even David, say but, if you work for them, you can't work for pharma for the next 10 years. I mean, that should happen in regulatory agencies, obviously. True, true. We have we have revolving doors from the FDA yeah, in, that's into part of the problem. So, so, so I think you can build structures in, and, and then you can just say, you know, an international organization like this, and 
it doesn't make sense that it tells a person exactly what they should do with their health, but they can give advice. And that's the limit of their power. They give advice. All right. So, so, t- so walk me through this uh, I, from a, from a practical common sense. How, how, how do they, how does somebody like Tedros tell Bill Gates, get the hell out of, you know, the world health organization and get out of seven, well, he, get out he, of he doesn't, the countries do. So the countries are supposed to run, and that's why this is very difficult to do. The countries are supposed to run the WHO. The country delegation. But they don't, but they don't, do they? Well, in a way they do, but they are, yeah, okay, it's complicated, isn't it? The World Health Assembly exists, it's one country, one vote, but the people in the delegations are very, you know, the health ministers go to the World Economic Forum in Davos, so... The people in the delegations are scored in the public health schools sponsored by these people. They want a job. There's a revolving door there as well. They want a job with X foundation, you know, whatever foundation or whatever company, pharmaceutical company after this. So they will help those companies as well. So you have the same problem of conflicts of interest within the country delegations. So and then yeah, you, you have the problem with specified funding in WHO, where now the most funding, even from countries, the country tells the WHO what to do. Right. So the WHO is not going to fix this because they're paid to do what they do. They're a tool of these people. But the, I mean, we need an international health organisation that just has core funding and that has huge limits on its power. It can only advise, and that. Um, and not take any private or corporate money full stop. So it'll end up having a bit less money. That's absolutely fine. Um, most money should be directly with the people and not with some organization in Geneva with huge salaries and business class travel anyway. So, you know, you can design organizations, I think, that are just advisory, that are very limited in scope and that have a firewall between themselves and the private sector because as soon as the private sector comes in they will replace the priority that populations are supposed to have in public health david i wish you were running the who because because you know the leadership needs your ethics and 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 i and i just i i can't see how how we reverse where we are today it's such a disaster because there's so much corruption and, mm. and greed uh, that has been attached. I mean, if nothing, if nothing came out of COVID, the, the one thing is it, it's a very transparent picture now on the yeah. level of greed um, within these private, public, par- international partnerships. Well, and I think within governments, I think it's, within governments, yes. Know, and these partnerships, in the end, they they reflect what's happening in governments. Um, right. I mean, I mean you know, these people trot off to Davos every year, and they talk to these very rich people and. They're not. They're talking to them more than their own people. So, but at the but at the same time, I, I I always question whether whether or not people are willing to tell somebody like Bill Gates go to hell or just you know get out of the way. You're 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 hurting people. You know because just because somebody has money doesn't mean that they're smart. Just because somebody has money doesn't mean that they are the you know. In, in, in invincible power in the room. I mean, sometimes the person who doesn't have money may be the smartest person in the room because because they're 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 doing it passionately as opposed to you know for the profit. 
Yeah, and I, I think it's fine for people to give money in certain ways, not to something like WHO, but to give money to that cause in general is fine. The, the mm -hmm. problem is that it has to come without strings. It has right. to come so that the people who are supposed to benefit can decide how that is used and not the people who are giving it. Because inevitably, even if we mean well, we don't know the priorities and the um, the context and so on of the people on the ground. And in the end, they need, you know, as individuals, we need to decide how our health is managed and how our lives are managed. We don't need someone in another country. Imposing that's something. that's true. Uh, back, back in the 1960s, one of my older brothers was in one of the, one of the beginning of the days of the, the Peace Corps. And people were telling me as I was a kid growing up that many times when they, when the Kennedy administration created the Peace Corps under Sarge Shriver, that we that the the Peace Corps would go in, the PCVs would go into a country and basically tell them what they needed if there was a water well. And yeah. they had to change their style because they had to meet with the, the chiefs of the tribes eventually to say, what do you want? What do you need? What do your people need? As yeah. opposed to telling them. So we became the ugly Americans uh, through the Peace Corps. And, and that's what colonialism style. is. It's colonialism right. is exactly that. It's using your money and power to impose your will on other people. Um, and, and that's, and you know, so now what what I, I think coming out of COVID, we, I think people have to think of, is this is this a new form of colonialism? Because we're, I mean, we're, we're not being, no, no one's being asked from Indonesia to Kansas. No one's being asked, do you want to have surveillance? Do you want to have 5G? Do you want to be, have, have a, you know, a credit, a social credit card? Do you want to have uh, digital? No one's asking us. Now it's just basically, this is the way the world. Or even is asking, the, what are your priorities? As an that's true. Yeah. No one's no one's asking that. So what? Yeah. So so let's bring it down to the kitchen table. That that's what we try to do on the show with all these these global issues. What is it that the average person? I mean, you're originally I'm originally from American. You're originally from Australia. What is it that the average person can do, David, in terms of waking up, putting the putting the brakes on this? I mean, how can they influence this so that? It doesn't turn into the monster it seems to be turning into at the WHO. Because if they're using, if you and your colleagues have now discovered that they're using data to make this another, you know, existential threat, you know, which sounds like the the um, sounds like the climate change people. Everything's an existential threat. If you don't do it our yeah. way, it's a highway. I mean, it's just it's amazing to me how they'll gin this up. But what does the average person do? I feel so. You know, we people have got to wake up to. Well, they've got to understand. Like the mainstream media is dependent fully on. You know, for instance, pharmaceutical companies on for its survival. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it'll fold. So well, we have to understand that we are not being told the truth all the time. And this isn't a party political thing. It's not this media outlet versus that, that media outlet. All the mainstream media are dependent completely on essentially this small sort of corporate um and it's not really pharmaceuticals it's 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 the it's, no, it's, it, it's the style of the business at this point in time yeah so and you know wealth is so concentrated now that there are a very few people who do control 
most of informa information flow and they will do that for their own purposes and people have yeah. to understand that and be much more skeptical and you know, they're, they're, I think that they've they've got to remember that you know just what human humans do. I mean, conflict of interest, um, greed, and so on are the normal drivers of humanity. And you've got to accept that there's not some you know just because someone's working global health or public health or something doesn't mean they're a better person. Mm -hmm. it, it means that is where they're getting their money for their kids, and they have exactly the same drives and so on as everyone else. So you don't believe them automatically any more than you believe the used car salesman or the real estate salesman or whatever. You treat these people in exactly the same way. It doesn't mean you intrinsically dislike them or so on, but you are skeptical about everything you're told and you make your own mind up based on common sense and by reading a number of different sources of data. So. You know, in the, you know, people need to remember back to 2018, 2019, they were not terrified of the next virus. So it makes right. no sense that they're terrified of it now. There are you much know, more important things and there are other things that are going to kill us. It's not going to be an outbreak. You know, uh, people, some people, good friends of mine who are not in the media and they're not in the spotlight, um, you know, have said to me in the last couple of years, you know, how, how do we tell the truth? And and it, it's frustrating for me because, you know, I, I just tell them use discernment. Um, but at the same time, I've come to the realization some people don't have discernment. They really can't tell. Mm -hmm. I mean, some, there are some people on this planet, God love them, who just do not have discernment when it's staring them in the face. Um, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's sad, but I, I think that people have to take responsibility for their lives. You know, and I think that once they take responsibility for the lives, things will shift. I mean, it's easy, it's it's harder to do than just reading Ephesians six in the Bible. But at the same time, I think it's important for people to understand that we are in a different place right now than we were five years ago globally. Yeah. And now is the time for people to grow up, put on the long pants, take responsibility, and don't buy into all of the hype that's going on right now but you know and some people are going to lose their lives there, there's no doubt about it some mm. some because this is a this is a fight to the death this is a hunger games and and it's and it's uh there's a lot at stake there's a lot of money at stake there is yeah um but do you, but do you still have people, hope david people, i mean people will lose their lives because of what's happening in public health because we're that's diverting right. resources from what actually matters to what you know is a very small threat that that kills people um, that's do you still have hope david because you've been in the business for a long time oh of course i have hope. i mean this is this is not something completely new it's on a scale we haven't seen before i think but this is you know feudalism colonialism they're normal states of humanity unfortunately greed is a normal driver we, we just see manifestations of all this um we've coped with it before as humanity i think we will again we just the the sooner we get on top of it the less bad it's going to be in the meantime. David Bell, you always make us smarter than every time you come on this show. I, I love having you on. Um, and we're going to continue this conversation because, you know, I, I think that we, we have to, I, I think it's imperative that we, that we demand of, of our fellow men and women to, to, to really wake up. Yeah. Because if, if people do not wake up, 
God help us and God help the kids behind us. Yeah, I agree. David, thank you. Thanks for, for, thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Christine. Our world is changing rapidly. Many crucial systems we depend upon are collapsing. And the most important system that is failing is the food supply. Mr. President, this council is more than aware of the multiple challenges and threats the world is facing today. But the threat of famine, people starving slowly to death, must be a red line. You know, these food prices are going to keep going up and up, and they're going to keep feeding excuse after excuse, narrative after narrative. Yeah. Where you're so going to have, have to get off that treadmill and start getting more autonomous with your own food growing. You want to make sure that you can eat, because frankly, food is the biggest issue as we are going through these transitions. But amidst the chaos, there is a path to resilience. Marjorie Wildcraft is the female leader of the survival and preparedness movement. Marjorie has taught millions of people how to grow an abundance of food in a grid-down situation even if you have no experience, are older, or out of shape. I've spent decades finding the fastest, easiest, and funnest ways for the average person to be able to grow a lot of food. I've created a step-by-step -step process that's so simple that even kids to elders have been using it in order to grow a lot of their own food. And you can too, even if you have no experience, you're older or you're out of shape. Growing your own food is like printing your own money. Get started today.